All right, well, let's go to God's word. If you're new with us, you'll find a sermon note sheet inside your bulletin that will help you better follow along. Today, we're going to begin a four-week series on the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a short little book. It's really kind of very difficult to find in your Bible if you don't know where you're looking for it. It only takes up a couple of pages kind of towards the end, the back half of your Old Testament. You have four chapters, 48 verses total. That's it. But it has a very powerful message attached to it. What it really does is it reveals to us the depths of God's grace. Because of God's great love for people, for you and I, there's no place that he won't go. There's nothing that he won't do. And no one he won't, through his love and grace and mercy, track down in an effort to get them back on track and into the place that's right in the center of his will for their life. That's what we're going to learn as we make our way through this series over the next four weeks. In fact, we're going to do it in four consecutive weeks. I think most people, even many non-Christians, know the story of Jonah to one degree or another. In fact, this is one of those stories that has kind of transcended through the Bible and out into popular culture. Anybody know why most people know this story? Has to do with a big what? The big fish or whale or whatever you want to call that that swallowed Jonah. And that part of the story has led to differing opinions about the book of Jonah. So some will say, because of that part of the story, well, some believe, well, it's just a mythical story. It's made up, because how could that be real? Others say that maybe this book was a dream that Jonah had and wrote down for us. And then there are still other people that would say, well, it's just a parable or an allegory that's meant to teach us spiritual truths. And while those are all differing opinions, can I tell you, none of those opinions is correct. Jonah is a real story that really did happen. Let me give you three proofs that Jonah's story is true. Proof number one is the testimony of the narrative itself. Throughout the book, you're going to find real names and real places and real peoples, all historical details found outside of the book of Jonah to be accurate. And the, and the book of Jonah is written, it's, it's literary style, it's historical fact. It's not, it's not written as an allegory or a parable. It, it, it's historical narrative when you understand the, the grammar and, and how it's laid out. So the text itself testifies a true story. The second proof Jonah's story is true is the testimony of the Bible. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 14, the prophet Jonah is mentioned during the reign of a king named King Jeroboam II. Let's go ahead and let me take you there because I want you to see this. 2 Kings 14, verse 25, it says, He, talking about King Jeroboam, restored the border of Israel from Lebohamath as far as the sea to Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel. Watch this. Which, which he spoke by his servant, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath, Hefer. You're going to understand when we start reading Jonah, that's the same Jonah that we find in the book of Jonah. And so the, the testimony of the Bible confirms that indeed Jonah was a real prophet of God. But, but the question is, is what about the big fish part of the story? Was that real? Well, to answer that question, we need to go to the testimony of Jesus. If you go to Matthew chapter 12, what you find is you have religious leaders who don't believe Jesus is who he said he was. 
And so they say, Jesus, to prove to you, prove to us you, who you say you are, we want a sign. Do something for us. Do something miraculous. And look what Jesus said to these cantankerous religious leaders. He said this in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Watch this. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, Jesus is referring to his death and his resurrection there. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, some, something greater than Jonah is here. And Jesus is talking about himself. In these three verses, do you understand? Jesus confirms the entire story of Jonah. The prophet of Jonah, his preaching, the people of Nineveh rep repenting, and even the big fish part of the story, Jesus says all of it's true. That's the testimony of Jesus. Now with that in mind, let's go ahead and dig into the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. What we find at the beginning of this book is something really, really interesting, and it's this. We find that you have a disobedient prophet at the beginning of this book. Let's go ahead and read what it says, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, do you understand you got a rebel prophet here? You got a prophet that's reluctant. He does not want to go to preach to Nineveh. So understand, this is a man who very clearly heard the word of God, but didn't want to obey it. And the reason that is, is because he didn't like what God had to say. You don't have to be a Christian very long to find out sometimes God's going to speak to you. In fact, a lot of times God's going to speak to you, and there are a lot of times you're not going to like what God has to say. That's Jonah. And so he runs in the opposite direction, but why? Why was Jonah so not liking what God had to say? Well, God had asked him to go to Nineveh and warn that city that if they didn't repent, he was going to wipe them out. He was going to judge them. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire located in what is present-day northern Iraq. And you have to understand, at this time in history, I mean, the, the Assyrian people were the most fierce, powerful people on the face of the planet, and they struck fear into all their enemies around them. And in fact, when they conquered their enemies, they didn't just kill them, they enjoyed making them suffer. Ancient tablets that have been found, archaeology-wise, uh, have, have shown how they would treat their enemies. And, and those scenes show that they would rip their, the lips off their enemies, and their hands, and their legs, and their feet, and they would make them suffer before dying. At times, they would fillet them alive. Other times, they would slowly burn them to death. This was an unbelievably wicked city, powerful city. In fact, the walls around Nineveh were so thick that three chariots could ride side by side on top at a time. And outside the gates were the skulls of thousands and thousands of their conquered enemies piled up for anybody who came to that city to see. What I want you to understand is 
Nineveh was the most violent, immoral, in every way, intimidating city on the face of the planet. This is the city God wants Jonah to go and preach to. But Jonah doesn't want to go. But not for the reasons that you would think. We would think, well, I wouldn't want to go to that city. I mean, that, that's scary to think about going to a city like that. Can I tell you, Jonah is not one least bit scared of the Ninevites. Instead, he's afraid that if he goes and preaches to them, they'll repent and God will spare them from his judgment. These are Israel's enemies. He doesn't want to see them in heaven one day. He wants them to burn in hell for eternity. Anybody have anybody like that? In your, don't raise your hand. But there, you know, there's some people you're like, God, I, I don't know, right? That's Jonah. I mean, he would have been more than happy to go to preach to them and say, guess what, guys? Judgment is coming, so get ready. What bothered him was preaching about the part that God wanted to offer them grace if they repented. You see, Jonah knew God very well. He knows that if they respond to God's offer of grace by repenting, God would indeed save them from his judgment. And, and that's what ends up happening in the story. If you fast forward in the story, eventually God gets Jonah there, Jonah preaches, and he proclaims these eight words all through the city. This is all Jonah preaches. Look at this, Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh, shall be overthrown. That's all he says. He go around, around the city. That's what he says. Eight-word sermon. He's like, okay, God, I'm here, but I'm going to do a short sermon. <laughs> but God anoints it in such a way, get this, that the whole city repents. All of them. Every single one. And if you understand it right, it is the greatest revival in the history of the world. Now, you would think Jonah would be happy about that. Praise God, lost people found God. They're going to heaven. They're not going to hell. But Jonah is not happy about that at all. Look what we're told at the beginning of chapter 4 after the revival broke out. It says this, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah says, I just knew. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's so unhappy that he would rather die than celebrate that a whole city just got saved. And you know who he's mad at? He's mad at God for saving them. This is why Jonah is on the run back in chapter 1. Now, this tells us something very important. Did you know it's possible to know God? To serve him for a long time? And still be running from him? That's Jonah. I, I think the truth be told, that's some of us in this room today. You know God, you're saved, you're going to heaven. That's not in the out of the I mean that that's not in question. You worship, you serve God, you talk about him, you know all about him, you know his word inside and out. But there is a specific word that he has spoken to you about in some area of your life that you do not like. And you too 
have your running shoes on trying to work things out your own way. Can I just say if that's you, are you ready for this? You're Jonah. <laughs> Today I want to talk to you about being on the run. You see, when we say no to God, do you know what that makes us? Rebellious. Do you understand? You don't have to be living like a pagan to be rebellious. You don't have to be living like the people of Nineveh were to be considered rebellious. Let me give you a good, simple, flat definition that brings it all into alignment here. Listen, rebellion is simply saying no to God. Anytime we tell God no, you ready? You're living in rebellion. No matter how many other things you're saying yes to him in. You see, we we tend to evaluate our walk with God by how godly we are compared to other people in our life. And so we we look at other people and we go, well, I go to church more to them. And I don't got my life right, but at least I go to church and at least I serve God and at least I do this and I do this. But lordship is one of those things that if it's not absolute and total, it's not a reality in your life. You're never farther from God than when you're close to him and say no. You know, there are, there are a lot of godly people who look like they're walking with God in every other way, but there's some area that they're saying no to him in. And it could be a variety of different things. Maybe it has to do with relationships in your life. And, and, and there's just, God says, no, that's not the right relationship. Or you're not handling that relationship right. And you're like, God, but I don't like what you have to say. So no. Or maybe it's a, it's a sacrifice in your life that God's asking you about how you use your time or your talent or your treasure. And you're like, God, but I just don't like what you have to say. And I, I hear you, but, but no. Maybe God is asking you to stop doing something, or maybe God is asking you to start doing something, and you've heard him, and you've said, no, God, no. Maybe it's a location that he wants you to go. Maybe it's a shift in your life. Maybe it's a new job. I don't know, but there are a number of things that God could speak in our lives that we can look at and say, God, I hear you, but no. Well, Jonah said no to God about Nineveh, and it has him on the run. So understand, are you ready for this? Everything else in his life is yes, except for Nineveh. And he's going to have to learn the hard way. It would have been way easier to say yes to God up front. But what he's also going to learn about is the great mercy and grace of God and how much God loves him through his running. What I want to do with the rest of our time this morning is share with you some lessons from a runner. Lessons that if you're thinking about running will stop you in your tracks and say, you know what, I better just trust God. Lessons that, that if you've been running for a long time will give you hope that God still loves you and cares about you and is at work even through the pain in your life to bring you back to the center of his will. Lessons that if you find yourself in rebellion will hopefully wake you up spiritually. Here's the first lesson we learned from Jonah about a runner. Runners find it difficult to be in the presence of God. That's Jonah. Look at it. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Here it is, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the 
Lord. Twice it tells us that Jonah was trying to get away from the presence of God. So think about this. Here's what this is telling us. Everywhere Jonah went in Israel, he was reminded of the presence of God. And, and, and because of that, he was reminded of his rebellion. And so he does what a lot of Christians do in rebellion. What do they do? They run from his presence. Why? Because it's uncomfortable for them to be in his presence. The conviction is so great for Jonah that he decides to run as far away as possible from God. In fact, I brought a map with me this morning so that you could see what his plan was. God's asking him to go 550 miles to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, nope, I'm going 250 2,500 miles to Tarshish. And you understand Tarshish was the edge of the known world at this time. Jonah would rather be 2,500 miles out of God's will than 550 miles in God's will. Listen to me very carefully. To run from the presence of God is to run in the opposite direction of the will of God. Let me say that again. To run from the presence of God is to run in the opposite direction of the will of God. Anytime you and I say no to God, it always means that we're moving in the opposite direction of him. See, this explains the mystery to some of you. This is why it can be so hard to read your Bible and pray and go to church and have other godly people be speaking into your life when you're rebelling against God. Because the presence of God is in all those things. And it's convicting. There was a time in my life where I knew that I had a call to be a pastor, but I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I was running from God. And when I was running from this calling to be a pastor in my life, the funny thing was, is I still wanted to worship God. I still wanted to serve God. And, and I found it very hard to go to church because the pastor could be preaching on tithing. And somewhere in that message, God would say, somehow through that message on money, I want you to go to Bible college. I don't know how he did it, but how many know God does those things, right? Yes. I was miserable. This explains why there are some people that you wonder are no longer going to Hope Fellowship. And you're like, where, where are they? A lot of times what they are is they're running. Yes. And they're going to give you excuses why they're not here and I'm busy and, well, Pastor Josh this and somebody didn't do this. A lot of times what it comes down to is they find it hard to be in the presence of God because of their rebellion. In fact, some of you, you're rebelling right now, and you're like, I'm not coming back for the rest of Jonah. <laughs> because this is hitting a little close to home. See, here, here's what I have found as a pastor. Most people don't believe their way away from God. Instead, they behave their way away yes. from God. Yes. Why? Because to say no to God is always to move you in the opposite direction of the will of God. And it's never in a good direction. It never spirals you up. It always spirals you down. I want you to notice a couple of things in the text here. It says, notice it says here in verse 3, when he fled from the presence of the Lord, notice he went down to Joppa. You're going to see this pattern. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the sea. He goes down to the whale or big fish or whatever it is. I think it was whale because he needed oxygen in there and scientific stuff, but you understand what I'm saying. 
It says he went down to Joppa. Listen, when you run from the Lord, it will always spiral you down. And notice, notice also it says he paid the fare. Jonah's rebellion is costing him on a personal level. And that shouldn't surprise any of us because running from the presence of God always brings you down and will always be more of a costly endeavor than you could ever imagine. There's a second lesson we learn from Jonah's running. Runners always affect the people closest to them. Amen. Look at verse 4. It says, but the Lord, Lord hurled a great wind, wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now, at this time in history, there was no such thing as cruise ships or passenger ships. Cargo ships would make extra money by taking on passengers along with their cargo on their way to their destination. And so here's the question I want to propose to you when we read this. Who's responsible for this storm? Jonah. Here's the principle. Rebellious people always create trouble for those closest to them. The storm brought on by Jonah is so bad that the mariners are afraid the boat is going to be destroyed. They're so afraid, they're crying out to their pagan gods at this point. And they're taking water on so fast that they have to throw their cargo overboard just to stay afloat. And so understand, not only is Jonah paying the price for this rebellious trip, but so is everyone else on that boat. You know this. Runners always end up hurting the people closest to them. You know that to be true. Parents, you know that when your kids rebel, it costs you, right? You feel it. You have to deal with it emotionally, mentally, sometimes monetarily. When a husband or wife rebels and leaves their marriage for another person, it's super costly to their kids. Kids end up paying for it for a lifetime. In fact, I would say that some of the baggage that we carry as adults was put there from somebody else's rebellion that we got caught up in. We got caught up in the wash of their rebellion. I mean, you can pick up the newspaper and turn on the news or go through that news app and see every day other people being caught up in the whirlwind of someone else's rebellion, thefts and abuses and murders and robberies. Listen, don't buy into the myth. And this is so America. Don't tell me what to do. I'm in charge of my life. It's just me. And, and listen, do you understand? You, you don't, it, it matters what you do because there are people around you. Yes. Nothing could be further from the truth that it doesn't matter. Moms and dads, let me just say something to you that I think needs to be said. Your saying no to God can put your kids right in the middle of a storm that they don't need in their life. Because they're getting caught up in the wake of your rebellion. Because runners always leave a wake behind for those that are closest to them, and they get caught up in it. Here's lesson number three we learned from Jonah's running. Runners end up spiritually exhausted. You know what I have found in my life? Because I guess I've had my times of running more than I'd like to admit to you. It's exhausting. It's, it's hard work. And it will drain you spiritually. It will empty you out spiritually. In fact, it will make you numb and it will make you 
spiritually stupid. Jonah's so exhausted from running, he's oblivious to the storm going on around him. Look at it here. Jonah chapter 1, verse 5. It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now think about this. Bad storm. Wind and waves. The boat is rocking all over the place. Water is pouring over the sides. We know that because they had to lighten the load by getting rid of some of the cargo. Everyone else in that that boat is in a panic but Jonah. You know what Jonah is doing? He is sound asleep. And I think there's there's a spiritual picture here for us to understand. He's not only physically asleep, but he's spiritually asleep as well. That's always true when it comes to rebellious people, isn't it? Everyone in their life can see the dangers but them. Look at verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. You understand? Even the spiritually, even these pagan sailors are smart enough to know they need divine help or they're going to go down. They can see it, but not Jonah. He's so spiritually exhausted from running that he's numb to his circumstances. He's become comfortable with his circumstances. Jonah doesn't even say a word to these sailors. He just keeps on quiet, keeps on being quiet. You know what he's doing? I'm going to continue to run, hoping the storm will pass and everything will be okay. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots. Kind of like, kind of like rolling dice, right? They're, they're going to... We may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot, watch this, fell on Jonah. Now, here's what I love about this. You may try to hide your rebellion, and you may justify it and try to explain it away, but eventually the truth's going to come out into the light. Do you know why? Because God's going to expose it to you. And if you're the one in rebellion, you ready for this? You're usually the last one who's going to wake up to that truth because everybody else knows it already. What's God doing here in Jonah's life? Let me tell you what God's doing. God's working to wake Jonah up out of his spiritual slumber. Verse 8, it says, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Did you catch that? That is so interesting. Even before the storm, he had already told them why he's on the boat. Rebellious people always have a good story to tell. Because they're always trying to justify it. And they they need to find somebody who will agree with them. And can I tell you this? This is the the danger when you rebel. If you look far enough and long enough, what happens is you're going to find somebody that's going to go, oh, I agree with you. 
And the reason why, why you start distancing yourself from church is because there's too much of the presence of God there and people that are trying to tell you what you need to be hearing, not what you want to hear. He's already told them. But God is at work here in Jonah's life to wake him up from his spiritual slumber. And he does that by bringing him face to face with his rebellion. Why? This, this is why getting back on track with God always starts with conviction. God's not doing that to punish him, but to get him in possession, to get position to get his life turned around and back on track. God's confronting him with his sin, not because he wants to condemn Jonah, but because he's madly in love with Jonah. And he is working by his grace to bring him back to the center of his will for his life. You say, how do you know that? Well, do you understand it was God who sent the storm? It was God who made the lot fall on him all in an effort to get his life turned around and back on track. Listen, sometimes God uses storms to do that. Yes. Sometimes pain is his method of getting your attention when you're on the run. Because sometimes pain is the only thing that's going to wake you up out of your spiritual slumber. Yes. It, it's the method that God often uses when we're re rebelling. Here's a fourth lesson that we learn from Jonah's running, and it's this. Runners never arrive at the destination they were hoping for. You know, Jonah thought he could do it his way. And he thought he would end up in a destination that would bring him peace and comfort. But do you understand he never arrived at that destination? Look at it with me. Verse 11, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, and said, he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Now this is good news. Because finally, Jonah has woken up spiritually. He understands that it's rebellion that has brought all this misery upon them. But he has yet to wake up to the grace of God that is at work in his life. At this point, he thinks he's dead meat. I mean, that's what Jonah thinks. I mean, it might as well throw me over to die because I've messed up too bad. What he's failing to realize at this moment is that God is actually, by his grace, running after him. Not to destroy him, but to redeem him in his calling as a prophet. Look at verse 13. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back on dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more, more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Do you understand what's happening? They're not calling out to their pagan gods anymore. They're calling out to Jonah's God. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly 
and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is where you're just going to see the amazing sovereign grace of God all over this story. At this point, these pagan mariners get saved. They went from calling out to their pagan gods to Jonah's God. Isn't God's grace amazing? God is even using Jonah's rebellion for his good purposes. I mean, Jonah can't get away from God, right? Here he is trying to run, and God's like, I'm still going to save people through your running. You know, I, I had this experience in my life. I've already told you. There was a period of time when I was running from being a pastor, and so I went to Anne Arundel Community College. I got my two-year degree in computer science, and then I went on to UMBC, and I'm still running from God. I'm like, I'm not going to Bible college. I'm not doing that. And I, and I show up to UMBC for my, for my junior year, and at this point, I've got to take a language the only class that was available, no lie, everything else was full, was Hebrew. <laughs> and I remember my mom giggling like, <laughs> God's going to use that when he eventually stops running. She was right. The grace of God is something else, isn't it? See, God won't let Jonah get away from his calling no matter how far he runs. Jonah is now floating in the sea this isn't the destination that he had hoped for. You understand, he thought he'd be sitting on some beach in Tarshish, <laughs> sipping a drink with no worries, totally at peace, no cares in the world. Can I tell you, running from God never turns out to be what we thought it would be. Amen. Never. Because there's always a lack of peace yes. where God is not. You see, many, many runners never get to the harbor they were headed for. Some get to the harbor they were heading for, only to find out it wasn't what they were expecting. Do you know why? Because there's no God there. I, I learned this through my running. When I was in my junior year at UMBC, I was working for a construction company. And my boss came to me one day and said, hey, instead of going back for your senior year, why don't you finish school slow? I got a job for you in the office. Long story short, I ended up with a project engineer's position, and I never studied to be a project engineer. 22 years old. I had my own office, making good money, in a large D.C. construction company. And I was miserable. And I realized that I didn't end up as a project engineer because I was good. I ended up there because God said, I'm going to put you in a position where you think you're going to flourish and you're going to be miserable, and i got to show you. Sometimes God will do that. Yes. And that's when I finally surrendered. I knew it didn't matter how much worldly success I had or how much money I made. I was going to be miserable if I wasn't where the presence and the peace of God was in my life. And the presence and peace of God will always be in the center of God's will for your life. No lie. I quit my job, went out to Springfield, Missouri to Bible college. I went from my own office making good money to finding a job where I was painting five miles of wrought iron fence around the country club. There would be this bucket of paint. You put these paint gloves on and you dip them every day. I'm out there. And you know what? You thought I'd be miserable. I was so happy doing that. <laughs> Because even when you're painting five miles of wrought iron fence around a country club, if you're in the middle of God's will, there's nothing like it. Amen. 
And you know what I learned? It's always better to be miserable in God's will than miserable outside of God's will. Look, to be in God's will, you don't have to like it. You just got to trust that God will work you through it and he knows what's best. Because God's will is always the best place for you no matter how you feel about it. There's one more lesson we need to learn from Jonah's running and it's this. Runners discover they can't outrun God. Jonah thinks he's going to get away from the presence of God. Oh, God loves him too much. God cares about him too much. And I love this part of the story. God didn't have Jonah thrown overboard to have him die in that sea. It was all part of the plan to get Jonah back on track. Back on track when it comes to his relationship with himself. Back on track when it comes to his calling as a prophet. And so God's next wave of grace in Jonah's life now comes to Jonah in the form of a giant fish. Look at it with me, verse 17. And the Lord, what does it say? Appointed. Appointed. A great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Catch that. The Lord appointed. Let that resonate for a second. The Lord appointed that great fish. I want you to think about all the things the Lord has appointed during Jonah's run here in chapter 1. The Lord appointed the storm in Jonah's life. The Lord appointed the lot falling on him. The Lord appointed that he would be thrown overboard. And now we're told the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah thought he was going to be able to run from God. But what he didn't realize is the grace of God was following him everywhere he went. There was the grace of God in that storm. That was the grace of God. Do you realize that? That was a wave of God's grace. The lot falling on him, that was a wave of God's grace being thrown overboard. God is working him through a process of waking him up spiritually and getting him in position to get turned around and headed in the right direction. What he learned is that God loved him too much to let him run to where he was going. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12, tells us, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. Just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Listen, if you've ever run into somebody who's been running and running and running, and God is not disciplining them, it probably means they're not his child. Because loving parents discipline their kids. Am I right? And what are you doing when you're disciplining them? You are running after them to get them back in the place that they should to bring them back to the place that's best for them. And so what I want you to understand is it's the same with God. God will involve himself in your pain in order to bring you back, not pay you back. Everything that God appointed in Jonah's life was wave after wave of God's grace working to bring Jonah back to the center of his will for his life. And finally... 
Jonah responds to God's grace. The lights. We read this in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Finally! He's awake. Finally, he's out of his spiritual stupor. Finally, he's ready to get his life back on track with God in the belly of that fish. I mean, Jonah here, this is the first time he prays since he ran. Finally, Jonah, understand he's saying, mercy, okay, God, I've had enough. And for the first time, he's calling out to God. And this is where Jonah gets back on track with God. This is where he repents and gets his life turned around in the right direction. Right smack in the belly of that great fish. And we're going to study his repentance more next time as we study chapter 2. Because we're going to study what it really looks like to get back on track with God. I think a lot of us fool ourselves about what that looks like. We're going to talk about that and talk more about repentance and how that opens up the door for God to put you back in the center of his will for your life. As we close today, let me leave you with three important thoughts. Number one, you can run from God, but you can't hide from his presence. God is in front of you. God is behind you. He's on top of you. He's in the boat. He's in the sea. And if Jonah would have got there, he would have found that God is even in Tarshish. You can run from God but you'll never be able to hide from his presence. And can I tell you, that is wonderful because it tells me that, that my God is always going to be there to look for me and bring me back and do whatever is necessary because he loves me to bring me back to the place that I should be. Aren't you thankful for the presence of God? Here's number two. Your rebellion can keep you from the greatest moves of God. God is giving Jonah an opportunity to be a part of one of the greatest revivals in history. And Jonah is risking missing the greatest things that God has planned for him because of his rebellion. I mean, don't make the mistake of thinking that, well, you know, this is just kind of automatic, Jonah, God bringing Jonah. No, Jonah had to bring, make choices and decisions to put himself back where God wanted him to be. Some of us are saying no to God, and God is saying, but you don't understand. I've got some great things that I want to bring into your life. I've got some great things I want to do from your life, and you're risking missing out on the greatest things that I want to do in and through you because of your running. Here's number three. Repentance is giving God the opportunity to reverse his judgment or discipline. Now, in the case of Nineveh, it was to reverse his judgment. Non-Christians there, right? They're going to be judged for their sin. If you're a Christian, your sins are already forgiven. Amen? In Jesus. But when you come to the point where you're ready to say yes to God, repentance, you know what it does? It allows the hand of discipline to come off of you.
and ask this question as we close. Is there any area in your life that you're saying no to God in? Because to say no to God in any area of your life is to move you in the opposite direction of the will of God. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. If there's any place in your life that you're saying no to God in, would you go to him right now and say, God, you got my attention. Some of you right now, God is trying to wake you up from your spiritual stupor. He's trying to wake you up not because he wants to condemn you, not because he wants to make your life miserable, because he's got great things in store for you. And until you wake up, his hand of discipline will remain on your life. Because God is so persistent and so loving that he doesn't want us to miss out on everything that he has in store for us. So if you're here this morning and that's you, maybe you're running in some area, would you just go to God right now where you're at and say, God, you got my attention. You got my attention. I repent. I'm sorry. And today I say yes to your plan. Even if I don't like it, even if I don't understand it, I say yes to your the best decision that you could ever make because the peace of God is always found in the will of God. And that's exactly what God wants you to be. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking in hearts, in lives, Lord, that we can hear from you and understand that, Lord, you are madly in love with us, Father. And your grace is way greater and way more amazing than we could ever ask or imagine. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to say yes, even if we don't like it, trusting and knowing that you know what's best. Lord, we just thank you and we give you all the praise in the name of Jesus. We all said together, amen. don't want to miss next week some of you are like I ain't coming back there pastor was talking to me this morning and I'm running you're in a good spot it's okay if it's a little painful God's got good things in store for you amen we'll talk about repentance next week God bless you have a great week we're gonna have our prayer partners over up here if you need prayer for anything in your life. We would love to pray with you. Ask the Lord to work in your life. The rest of you, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. Your goodness is running after. It's running